Mike McGee is here. He's uh, like one of my favorite people. He's our senior tech correspondent. And uh, he's the director of programs at Code Now, a great organization that takes underrepresented people in this great country of ours and shapes their minds to be the tech leaders of tomorrow. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Before we get into it, I just uh, am reading something right now about uh, Andrew Yang, the uh, presidential candidate. One of 35,000. Yeah. Um, Apparently, he's got a new campaign strategy that might be right up your technological alley. Uh, He says that technology could boost his profile, allowing him to be in multiple uh, locations at once. Get ready for the Andrew Yang hologram. What? The Andrew Yang hologram was joined on stage by the Tupac Shakur hologram. This is a real thing. This is not an onion. He uh, says that it hopes that it gives him an edge in the presidential race. He says, uh, yeah, he could do more campaign stops. Uh, So it's just like him and Tupac and uh, what I think Ronnie James Dio has a hologram now. And that's that's the Coachella lineup. (laughs) Yeah. So he said, um, wait. Oh, okay. So it's not Andrew Yang and Tupac on the same stage as holograms. No, it is. It is. Yeah. Wait, at an official campaign stop. I. It's it's him like in the hologram like testing room, I guess. Oh. And so they filmed it, and he he was giving a speech saying, "This is what I'm gonna use, I think, to further my campaign." Got it. But like, Tupac and Andrew Yang were in the same hologram room. Yeah. There's it's it's right there. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that yeah, I like that. There's a hologram room. Like it's like we're not to the point where like you can just download a hologram of yourself. Like there's still the technology is not there. Like you have to actually go. There's one room in the world yeah. where you we're can get a hologram. hologram technology yeah, well, I am did a hologram. I'll never forget this. Two thousand eight, <laughs> when Barack Obama like the night election night where he won. I was in Grant Park. Yeah, uh, and I'll never forget Wolf Blitzer saying like, "We have Will I Am." Via hologram. Oh my god, I totally remember this. Now. Yeah, because it was like an hour before, like they officially called it for Barack Obama, yeah. and we were just like waiting in anticipation, and then CNN was like, you know what, let's get Will I Am via hologram <laughs> to to talk about this momentous occasion. And I'm like, why? A, are you talking to Will I Am? And B, he's via hologram. Like you could just call him. Yeah. Like he's not he's in the studio. He's down the street. Yeah. Like well, what do you anyway? So well, you know who else are you gonna get? It was. Got a, that boom, I boom, still <laughs> I still talk about it to this day. It's almost been twelve years. So, so they did. I guess they did something right. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, but okay. Let's okay. Andrew Yang hologram. Yes. Objectively, it will allow him to get to more places. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're like, so it's Iowa is the focus right now. Yeah. Okay, let's just pick Waterloo, Iowa. Sure. Cedar Rapids. Yeah. Like, you are waiting at a campaign stop, and then Andrew Yang hologram pops up. Is that going to help you say, like, you know what? I'm going to vote for that guy. I'm going to caucus for him. My brain says, if you couldn't be bothered to show up in my town, why should I show up for you? Yeah. So it's going to be a hologram. Does a hologram get lonely? Does the hologram have feelings when no one shows up to your campaign stop? And would it even know in the first place? Ooh, see, there we go. <laughs> I, uh, uh, he said, uh, Yang said, technology is really cool. That's true. Uh, <laughs> when you see the hologram, the whole thing is very fun and invigorating. Certainly when I saw the technology in action, I enjoyed it a great deal. So for folks 
in Iowa and other places, I think it will just be a fun way to experience it. It might be even more fun than seeing me in person, which is, you know what? Love yourself, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> there's some, we need to, let's dig into that. There's a lot but of But he does bring up a point, a good point, uh, after a series of bad points, uh, <laughs> that it is crazy, like the demands to, you know, nonstop campaigning, and we're not even in the fully serious kind of mode yeah, yet. Yeah, it's a year and a half. Uh, you know, people are still announcing officially uh, that they're running for president, and there's, you know, all these other candidates that haven't done that yet. So he brings up a great point, especially for him, since he's not one of the serious, you know, contending candidates at the moment, that it is a very, like, it's very taxing your time and your money to be in all these places, and you can only be at one place at one time. So maybe yeah. he's on to something. Maybe. maybe in 10 years, every candidate has a hologram version of themselves, you know, in someone's, you know, kitchen in <laughs> Iowa or, you know. New I Hampshire. Just, I just pictured the Bernie Sanders hologram and it tickled me. What is this? What am I? <laughs> where, where am I in Iowa? <laughs> Sorry. Nope, I, Montana today. <laughs> oh, great! I love I love Montana. Wide open <laughs> skies. Uh, he's a nice man. Uh, it is the morning am. Uh, you bring us uh, several pieces of news today, and I want to jump right in uh, now that we're done with our hologram chat. Uh, Lyft. Not just in the business of cars. No. Uh, they've expanded to uh, a couple of uh, two-wheeled options. Uh, one of uh, the problems that they seem to be having is a very ironic problem. They're putting the brakes on their bicycle sharing program because the bikes ain't got no brakes. Yeah, slight problem. Slight. I was saying earlier, if I had to rank the things that a bicycle could do, I would rank braking ahead of going. Because yeah. going is great, yeah. but stopping's where you, yeah. you know you need it. Uh, story time. I, <laughs> I uh, agree with you wholeheartedly because when I learned how to ride a bike, I taught myself. Uh, thanks, parents. No, I love them. <laughs> but you know, I had you know hard life. Had to teach myself how to ride a bike. But I finally got the hang of riding a bike uh, on a hill. A very steep hill. Oh no, Mike! And I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm doing it! I'm I'm riding this bike. This is awesome. Yeah. But I just knew how to go. Oh, I didn't know how to no. stop. And I could have easily just, you know, hit, you know, clutched my hands and you know hit those handlebar brakes. No. But I didn't know because I was learning by myself. Yeah. How and much uh, you I ended up in a ditch. Uh, oh, you know, my. you know. But I'm still here. You know, I have mental scars that I'm still working through. But. I'm here. So I feel for these, you know, people that are using these electric bikes, e-bikes for short. Yeah. Uh, Lyft, as you mentioned, uh, is not just in the business of cars, but them along with Uber has also, they have also acquired uh, bike companies, scooter companies mm -hmm. to basically be like a full kind of service for transportation. Now, so how do you want to get someplace? We'll help you out. Yes. So basically trying to kill um, Uber kind of, they're also going public. They filed for their IPO mm -hmm. last week and, you know, had hundreds of pages of documents and, you know, very smart people who read through all those pages essentially came up with the conclusion that, you know, Uber is trying to kill public transportation. Um, and Lyft, I would assume, is in the sim same boat of, you know, making them the number one destination. So mm -hmm. if you can't get a car... You can get a bike. You can get a scooter. Now, for bikes, Lyft has, you know, they acquired a company called Motivate, which is, the, I believe, the largest bike share operator in the United States. Uh, they acquired them last November for, I think, $100 million, so not an insignificant sum. And this is a big deal 
and Lyft just went public a couple of weeks ago. I uh, made a lot of investors, millions yeah, and did. some billions of dollars. And then this week they had to report that they're pulling thousands of bikes, uh, you know, from their fleet because of malfunctions. As you mentioned, you know, people are riding these e-bikes, which are, I think, about 10 to like 15 percent um, of their current bike fleet. So sure. not every bike that you rent is bike. an electric bike. Thank right. goodness, because there have been reports <laughs> of people trying to brake and literally flipping over the front of their bikes. And reporting serious injuries. So that's a problem, uh, especially in major cities, because uh, it might be here in Chicago, but definitely in a few major cities, cities have signed exclusive agreements with Lyft to be their primary, like, bike, you know, share operator, Mm -hmm. uh, shutting out Uber and other, you know, competitors. And so when you have an exclusive deal with bike share operators and then your bikes don't work, that's a problem. And that kind of highlights this public-private partnership where a public entity gives full exclusive rights to a private company and then something goes wrong. That's why, you know, if you feel that, you know, uh, you know, public, you know, entity should have some governing power and regulatory power, this would be a great example of, you know, that issue. I, uh, I wonder if this is kind of one of those things where a company gets too big for their britches and tries to diversify without really doing every bit of homework that they could do? Oh, no one does that. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, I mean, (laughs) not to just, you know, counteract your point. Like, you bring up a great point, it's rational, Yeah. and that's the problem because it's too rational. It makes too much sense. They're in a race with Uber to, to win this, you know, kind of new transportation economy battle. Ain't got time to see if their bikes work or, you know, see if they're serious problems. You know, sometimes people flip over their handlebars. It's just life, you know. It's the lesson in there. People are always saying, Jill Hopkins, she's just too rational. It's it's really her biggest problem. Yeah, you should fix that. I really should. Mike McGee is here. He's our senior tech correspondent. What is the U.S. Digital Service? Why they got problems and how are they solving them? I mean... They got problems because the United States has problems. That's true. So that's a simple reason. But this is like a good tech story. Okay. Yeah. They are, you know, they're very smart people who have worked, you know, in the Googles and the Microsofts and the Apples of the world. And they decided to take their talents to D.C. to try to help government be a little more efficient, a little more updated, uh, and help, you know, various departments, uh, you know, that are within the government to operate uh, more uh, efficiently to help people out. So... Yeah, yeah, U.S. Uh, Digital Service uh, started, I think, under the Obama administration or around there, mm-hmm. uh, and they're their own entity, so still there are hundreds, if not more, uh, helping uh, to add a technological layer on the government. So I'm sure we've all been to various government websites, uh, you know, either voluntarily or most likely involuntarily. It has just been tax day. Yeah, that's an important day, I believe, for millions of Americans. And it can be a, you know, slightly terrifying experience. So when we think about government, we have our own, you know, opinions and issues. But when we think about government websites, it's like another level up of like, oh, no, this is like some GeoCities uh, website from the 90s. And, you know, U.S. Digital Service or USDS, cool acronym for short, uh, is trying to to fix that, so yeah. Well, what are their what are their tactics here? Well, I mean, they're doing a few things. So the first big, I think, uh, you know, project was during like the healthcare.gov issues when you know 
Obamacare, you know, or, you know, Affordable Care Act went under, uh, you know, what was official. And there's a lot of issues with people signing up and finding out their options. Some of these people came in and rescued that and kind of, you know, kickstarted this USDS project. Uh, recently, they worked on updating or overhauling uh, VA.gov or, you know, veterans uh, to make, you know, their claims get through faster and, you know, you know, create a much better user experience for them. And really, it's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's so many, you know, uh, the government touches, especially the federal government, touches many areas yeah. of our daily lives. Yeah. And, you know, when people have an issue or want to get help or want to learn information, it can be very difficult to find that information online. And so the I think the the core problem is that there's a lot of problems and a lot of opportunity uh, for a, you know, uh, entity like, you know, the U.S. Digital Service to come in and provide help and so many problems that they're actively recruiting, you know, tech people and people who care uh, and people who want to learn uh, to help them out. Are you going to be one of those people? Uh, no, not right now because okay. I'm talking to you. You know, if they call, I'm open. If you're listening out there, Mike McGee is here for all your technological needs. Oh, no, please. Are don't. You, oh, you said that? Oh, no, no, but I mean you have to pay him. Okay, good. Okay. Okay, just, <laughs> just to make sure we add that in there. Mike McGee is a tech whiz, and that's why we have him in here every week for Cash Tech Tuesday. Let's talk about the product of the week. It's a whole new world for streaming services. I am so sorry. <laughs> That's what they they literally played that sound clip. Really? Yeah, it was crazy. It makes I sense. I feel like I heard that before. It makes sense uh, because Disney Plus is the reason why you can't watch Guardians of the Galaxy on Netflix anymore. Yeah. And uh, I was saying earlier that if you think that maybe you don't want this because cartoons aren't your jam, then we're here to remind you that Disney owns way more than that. Tell us about Disney Plus and if it's whether whether it's worth us coming up off another seven bucks a month. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm just thinking, looking over to the side here, pondering life. Yeah. And let's think about what you pay. Like the whole subscription, like there's a lot of subscriptions. There's yeah. Netflix, there's Hulu, there's Spotify, there's yeah. Apple Music, there's HBO Go, there's HBO Now, there's Showtime. There's all, you know, yeah. we get to it. Then there's now, you know, New York Times and Washington Post and all these places Not to where mention Amazon just like Prime your and, light bill and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, the utility <laughs> subscriptions of life. But, you know, if you say love Netflix and you've slowly seen your Marvel titles go away and then you're also just say, fan of Disney because you grew up in America. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Disney has found a way to enter your life, uh, whether it's Lion King or other titles that just bought Fox for, like, billions and billions of dollars. So the, the Simpsons, all 30 seasons are on Disney+. Plus, and Netflix has slowly gone up over the years. It used to be $7.99, $8.99. Now it's $11.99, $12.99, $13.99. And here comes Disney+. Plus. Hey, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? Just $7.00. You know, you know, or you can just pay, you know, 70 bucks for the year, save yourself, you know, 25, 26 bucks um, or whatever the math is on 12 times seven ninety nine. Don't ask me. Um, yeah. Ninety six something with tax, hundred something. And they'll probably raise the price. So you probably want to get in there early and get a little one year discount. Uh, so anyway, and they're also coming out with new titles, so, brand new live action series, all that good stuff. So we could uh, presumably... This is this doesn't launch until November of 2019. Yeah, you can't get it right now. Yeah, but you can sign up for uh, updates so that right when it drops, you can be in. Oh yeah. 
We, we're talking all your Disneys. You got your, your your Dumbos, your Snow Whites, and whatnot. Classics. Classics. We got all your Pixar's. Yeah. Do you want to cry about Toy Story in the privacy of your own home? Yes. Boom. Toy Story three, not a children's movie, by not the way. That at was all. like that was oof, oof, deep. Gotta lie down after that. Yeah. Uh, we've got, of course, all the Marvel properties, and yep. as they keep churning them out, it's going to be harder and harder to keep up if you maybe don't have the streaming service. Uh, you've got, uh, do you like nature? National Geographic is here what? for you. And let's not forget about uh, what may be, for a lot of people, the crown jewel of the collection, all your Star Warses. Yeah, and the new Star Warses. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of one-stop shopping for a lot of pop culture. Yeah, and this presents a challenge for Netflix, uh, especially because it, which is why they've invested billions of dollars into original programming because they, at least at the start, were having deals. It's like Spotify deciding to make their own music. Yeah, like Netflix had to, you know, contracts with Disney and all these providers to get their content on their platform. And Disney, you know, yes, this is another subscription, but Disney has the power because they own you know, major properties. They own Pixar and Fox and all these major, yeah. you know, uh, content, you know, creators. So they can create their own service and they've done it. It's been two years since they first announced it and in November of this year, it'll be out. So if you're into any of those things, even if it's, you're just into Star Wars, I think investing $7 or $8 a month is well worth uh, your investment uh, to get access to those, you know, properties. From a nostalgic standpoint, I'm... Excited, of course, for the for the Disney of, of my youth, uh, movie-wise. But I'm also excited to see if they bring the Disney Channel of my youth. Oh. Because uh, when I was growing up, you could see all your Justins and your Britneys and your Christinas wow. on the Mickey Mouse Club. That was good after school watching. But lots of folks who are just younger than me have like that whole roster of like the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Lizzie McGuire. McGuire. And if they bring that back, I think that's going to really corner the like elder millennial parents of toddler market where you can have the streaming service where you can convince your small children that old children's shows are new children's shows. And you can watch them together, and you they don't have to know. Yeah. I just looked up Lizzie McGuire on Google, and the show has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Of course Which it does. just, like, warms my heart. Of course it yeah. does. That and those, like, chunky Steve Maddens are coming back. Like, oh. it is yeah, it is a 90s wonderland, there we everybody. Go. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.